Hello, Josh. Hey, Nate. How are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. My uh, family is really under the weather this week, so I uh, haven't been getting a whole lot of sleep. But uh, yeah, hanging in there, getting some coding done today, and uh, yeah, life's okay. How about you? Uh, I'm doing all right. I'm, uh, I don't, I'm trying to think what happened recently. Yeah, not, not much. I feel like we're in this drill, like waiting for holidays to hit us. So that's mm. pretty much it. But, um, aside from that, not too much about me, but we do have a guest today. It's not common. We were just talking about, we haven't had one in quite some time, but, um, we have uh Pete from data box here. And, uh, so we did want to welcome Pete. I'm going to give a quick little intro and then, uh, Pete can feel free to jump right in and join our conversation because I think that's what's uh, going to happen. But so Pete's the CEO of Databox, uh, a SaaS that helps businesses and their with their business analytics and dashboards. Uh, what's great is they do provide this new benchmark insight thing. I think he wants to talk about a bit today. Hopefully, uh, Nate will pick his brain on it. But it's pretty neat, as you can see, if you're on track with your past self or even your peers. Uh, before that, Pete was, I believe, employee number 13 at HubSpot, and uh, he's he's kind of internet famous for starting their uh, partnership program, though. So. Yep. 15. Pete, welcome. People 15. Are very, oh, people are very so close. Over there, like, <laughs> I was the employee X, so I wouldn't want to take whoever's 13 spot. I think that was probably, like, uh, uh, the salesperson right before me. So. But yeah, 15. Okay. Close enough. <laughs> um, and yes, thank you for the intro. And well, and I'm really excited to be here. I should not to say welcome, but I'm really excited to be here because I'm, as I told you guys, I'm an avid listener, and I think I feel like I muscled my way into the podcast because I've known Josh for a while. We talk every once in a while, and and I said I want to be on the podcast, and he was like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, first we're like, we have a fan. Me and Nate are like, wait, someone that actually like listens to all of it, you know? So because you guys are so and you just like put it all out there whereas most people podcast it's like they just stick in their chest out puffing it up right um so i enjoy it you guys <laughs> just kind of share how, how it's going well that's good we've uh, i've enjoyed following you on twitter as well i think we've uh, interacted on there a few times and i feel yes. like i got to know you a bit that way so when you wanted to come on i was like oh yeah pete sure yeah that sounds great <laughs> Uh, cool. cool. Well, I'm, I'm really looking forward to chatting today and, uh, kind of picking your brain a bit on how you think about things. And, uh, yeah, maybe yeah. there'll be some, some learnings for me and, uh, other people listening. So, Hope. uh, you were, Something. hopefully, yeah. <laughs> so you work at Databox, right? Uh, your CEO yeah. there. Um, when you started, what was, what was it like at Databox when you started there? Oh, we were really, it was really early. Um, the, there were, 12 other people. Um, the founder recruited me to join as CEO. Um, he's the president of the organization, board member alongside me, and and he runs um, product engineering and our people operations or HR. Um, <laughs> and so, and he, this is like their business. The other ones are still still a going concern, smaller business, but 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 profitable and solid business. So he's a pretty experienced entrepreneur, but never grew a business like to the scale of a HubSpot per se, per se, it never grew a business in the U.S. until this one. So so he was looking and his board wanted to have somebody here to help him. Um, so anyways, I joined, it was 12 people. It was just him, uh, um, 10 engineers, product people, and one support mm -hmm. guy. Um, and 
they had very little revenue, a uh, few thousand dollars a month in MRR. Like, wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. That's really cool. That's like, yeah. uh, there's a lot of, a lot of room to grow there. So like, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so when you started, like what, did you like come in with like a plan? You're like, I am going to, you know, tackle this problem and I'm just going to, you know, shoot for the moon kind of thing. Or like, what was that like? No, no, no. We, I had, a, we had a plan. So I spent a few months getting to know the founder, um, playing with the product. It was quite, um, simple then. Um, and, and then even, I even introduced it to some, uh, companies to have them check it out people that i had done business with um at hubspot and uh in order to get kind of get some feedback and see is there a market here what would the market be uh what's the value prop um how do you sell it things like that so i had a little bit of a uh, handle on the team and the product and the market um before joining but not a whole lot like really the work started on you know day one um so i wouldn't say we had a full plan no this is a short answer. <laughs> I could yeah. I could elaborate for another thirty minutes on that question if you wanted me to. But... <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that's good. That's good. So you you kind of got in, and when you're, it sounds like you're saying that the first thing you did was figure out like what the market was for this thing, and like who would buy this. And I think that's really insightful because that's not where I've often started when I think about <laughs> what to do. I know. Like, I would I look at the. Back to Josh, like a few times, I'm like, "Why are you guys talking about the technology or what it does without talking about who's going to buy it?" Um, so, yeah, no, not to not to be critical, but yeah, I think that's the most important thing is like who's going to buy it and what's the problem you're solving for them. You can mm-hmm. sometimes say what's the opportunity for them, but I think that's a really hard place to start a startup. Um, right. And so, was these were these people who had they 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 knew that they had a problem. And you were kind of trying to see, like the people that you were talking to, they were, did they know they had this problem, um, or did you have to try and kind of educate them to say, "Hey, you, you need this thing"? Um, some of them knew they had a problem, uh, and they were like, "Should be more specific so that it's like real for people." Like the, hmm. the our main customer, our group is marketing agencies. Uh, that's forty mm-hmm. percent of our customers. Um, but we, we do help a, a wide range of businesses, small and large, e-commerce, B2B, B2C, SaaS, et cetera, et cetera. But, but marketing agencies are a core customer segment of ours. Uh, and the two problems they had, one problem is um, they, were doing, they were doing reporting to their clients of the results they're producing, but it was a really manual process, um, inconsistent. Um, the other big problem is like they weren't doing that or they were doing it very ad hoc. Um, and as a result, like their clients were canceling or churning or just not happy with the work, you know, the, the work that they were producing. So that was the problem, you know, we identified. I wasn't the only one to identify that problem. There were other solutions then. Mm-hmm. Um, Databox had a unique, unique approach to it. And so does, but, um, but yeah, that was the problem. And those are, that was, that's, that's really cool. So maybe I'll just like last question on this kind of area is, um, you know, how did you, you said you had, you reached out to some companies you had worked with through HubSpot. Um, how did you kind of come up with that group of people that you were asking these questions to, 
you just call them up out of the phone book or they're actually like programmed into my phone. Um, yeah. So I started the partner program at HubSpot, which is marketing agencies reselling mm-hmm. HubSpot. Um, and I did, I built that program out for nine years. So I, over that time period had built relationships with owners and some of them, like they literally started on their dining room table. And, you know, there's a few that are like mm-hmm. $30 agencies at this point. So most of them take my call when I, when I call. Um, <laughs> well, that's, that's really, uh, that's really great to have, you know, that, that asset yes. in your back pocket. Yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. I knew that I wanted to continue to work with Mark. It was like, yeah. Criteria number one on my list. Yeah. So once you kind of figured out what your market was, what the problem was that you were trying to to pitch to people, what was kind of your next your next move, if you can remember remember back that far? Um. So, uh, for the first say nine months, I knew that I just needed to sell. Um, like that. You know, we had a viable product. Um, we had customers that found value in it. Right. You know, pretty early. Uh, and so it was just a matter of me selling um, to new customers. And so the we didn't like we didn't have a lot of cash to burn. Um, the company had previously raised three point eight million in seed funding, and that before they raised the seed funding, they actually had success in a different market. But once they raised the funding and started to scale that business up, it just didn't work. It actually failed. Mm. Uh, and so they. They went, you know, they grew a team and then they shrunk it down just to the product engineering team and that one support guy. Um, and so um, I knew I couldn't like just go and hire a bunch of sales people, which is what you would typically do after you raise your seed round. And so right, I yeah. myself for a little while uh, and I knew I needed to do three things. I needed to market it. I needed to sell it and I needed to onboard customers. Uh, and so after a few months, uh, Pretty pretty crisply remember the founder saying like Pete we need to hire some people and I'm like ah, <laughs> I don't know if we have a repeatable model yet and but he was right we ended up hiring two pretty junior people one in marketing one in onboarding um, the onboarding person is actually my like chief of staff she's our director of uh, revenue operations at this point um, and uh, and then about maybe in the nine months. Uh, one of the guys that used to work for me at HubSpot um, said, hey, I'm heading out, um, looking for jobs. I'm like, oh, well, I could use a salesperson. And so I ended mm-hmm. up hiring. And so we had like a team of four people for a while, um, just kind of crank it away and just gradually growing our website traffic and sign up volume, gradually growing, you know, our customer, new customer account, right. um, where the customers and trying to get them to yeah. where they were seeing value of the product and uh, just did that for a while. Yeah, that's, that's, that's neat to hear. You kind of, you kind of didn't want to scale up because you're worried about the, the unit economics or whatever that, you know, the model's not quite there. Um, that's, that's really neat to hear as like uh, an engineer, because I often think that way too. It's like, I want to perfect yeah. this thing before I scale it out. And yeah. really what, what your, what your founder was probably telling you is, you know, you, you've got, you've got close enough. This is good enough. Just, you know, give it a try kind well, of thing. He, yeah. He just knew that my bandwidth was limited and he wanted to go faster. So when he came down to, he always does. Um, <laughs> But I think uh, it's funny because we're kind of in a similar situation now with this new product. But um, but yeah, I would I wouldn't say it was the unit economics I was worried about too much. More of just like how much market is there and who could do this mm. and like you know and right. how much do I have to pay them and how risky is that to 
to our balance sheet and things like that. That was a little more of my concern, but yeah. Um, it's do, so do so do you guys have uh, many competitors that are very close to your specific niche? Um, there's a lot of competitors. I think we're all a little bit different. Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, me knowing our business and knowing enough about them can spot the differentiation points. Mm, yeah. I think most prospective customers don't though. Um, so yeah, there's quite a few competitors out there. In addition to like direct competitors, we we also kind of compete against our our platform, the platforms we integrate with. So like specifically mm. Google and and HubSpot. Like Google ha- literally has a like product called Google Data Studio, which you probably heard of, mm-hmm. um, that we compete with. Uh, and that and, and like they don't have all the integrations out of the box that we do or included in our price. Um, mm-hmm. And you end up having to use another product like a Supermetrics to pull in all your data um, or something yeah. like that. And so like the cost ends up netting out. Sometimes it's more expensive to go with them. Sometimes it's more expensive to go with us, depending on your needs. Usually it's more expensive to go with Supermetrics than us. But, um, but so it's not like a direct competitor, but like, of course it's Google and it's a free product. So everybody tries that first. Um, yeah, of course. Yeah. And then you got like HubSpot who doesn't have the integration capabilities, the reporting capabilities, or even like the attractiveness of our reports um, that people mm-hmm. like. But, um, you know, they've built a good platform where people push data in. Um, they have integrations with things like Stripe or Search Console or the ads platforms. And so, and then the reporting is, is pretty sophisticated now. They've really improved it over the last few years. So there's some companies just say like, well, we get most of what we need out of HubSpot, so we're just going to use HubSpot reporting. So, so I can feel like we have competitors everywhere, uh, unfortunately. Yeah. So do you, <laughs> do you guys spend a lot of time thinking about your competitors or is it, um, you know, something that you kind of know is there, but you focus on yeah. your own stuff? How, how do you guys I think about that? I personally don't spend much time. The product org, the founder and the product team spend a lot of time testing other products out. Mm. Um, and I think it's very safe to say that we've uh, stolen ideas from competitors and competitors have stolen things from us. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, with SaaS, I think it's kind of fair game. Um, yeah. But I'm much more focused in on like the value prop for the customer and what is the customer asking for? What do they need? They not, yeah. might not be asking for yet. Um, or what will they value that they're definitely not looking at us for, but we could provide. Um, so there's different ways we look at it, but I, yeah, I tend to focus much more on like what, what customers want to need or say. Yeah. Yeah. That's makes a lot of sense, right? Focus on what you're good at. Um, have you, um, yeah, we've talked before about metrics being a hard thing to sell. Is is that something that you run across with your? You two did an episode where you talked about potentially building something like DataBox, and Josh is like, "No, that's a stupid idea." I know. <laughs> it's, like, it's like I've heard of Pete's pain. Let's let's avoid some of those. Yeah. Like. <laughs> yeah. So I feel like we're over most of the pain humps, but like, yeah, it was a painful six years to get where we are. So mm-hmm. um, and. It was that in finding the the customers or in like them realizing the pain or kind of what would you say that where does that come from what what makes you say that it's just it's just, just a meaty product like there there's there isn't an MVP for a product that pulls all your all your data all your company's data into one spot 
uh, and then allows you to do what all the stuff you would want to do with that data. So like, yeah. there's just, there's no way to get that product out half baked um, and, and make everybody happy. Um, mm-hmm. So I think, you know, I even, I even got a call from a competitor. I think they've since like sold it and shut it down, but they called and they're like, Hey, we have so many customers canceling and they tend to like cancel and go to another product. But we know that we also get customers that cancel from other products. So our strategy that we're proposing to you is to like merge all these companies and just let customers go from one product to the next. And I'm like, well, and I, I was like, that's literally the stupidest idea I've ever heard. Like, yeah, I've heard of roll up for market share, but not because customers are canceling and you want them to go try the other products. Um, yeah, no like, kidding. We could combine our engineering resources and build the product faster. That's an argument to be made, but I can't go to my board with, with your pitch. Yeah. So I think that's really the challenge, right? Is like, is that we needed to build so many integrations at the end of the day, we don't have a lot of features, but they are difficult to enable and they're all dependent on the integrations that we built. Um, and each yeah. of those integrations takes time. Right. And that's probably, that's probably your moat there a bit too, right? Like the engineering resources create required to create those things. Um, yeah, I think, do you I have, think that yeah, for sure. We have another, mode. Would you... we have another much better mode, but yes. Yeah, what are there? I was, was going to ask next. You know, are you, I don't know if you're familiar with the the seven powers moats terminology that we've referenced a number of times. Do you? Yes, do you? I haven't read the book in a while, but yes. So, do you guys have any specific things other than your engineering uh, investment that you would say is a moat for you guys? Um, so, yeah, I think we have a few moats before I zero on the one that I'm most excited about. But um, I'd say the first one. Um, it is the, uh, is the marketing mode. We've built a pretty low CAC, uh, marketing model. We've since invested a lot more in marketing and sales, but for the longest time, we had a very simple marketing model that just helped us grow our signup volume. Uh, we went from mm-hmm. like a few hundred a month, you know, in the first year, um, to like a thousand a month by the end of the second year to like. 3,000 and now we're up over 5,000 signups a month and we've never spent a dollar except to protect like our brand searches. Like when somebody searches data box, we had our affiliate program, right. people who bidding on that. And like, we're just like, we're just like giving them money for nothing. Um, and so that's the only money we spend is like bidding for our own brand name at Google. Um, mm-hmm. Everything else is organic, uh, organic search, mostly more recently doing more, more social, organic social stuff. Okay. That's, that's really cool. Um, I don't know if you want to talk more about that, but the, or I can go on to other modes, whatever you want. Yeah. Carry on. What else you got? So the other mode, um, is, is, um, we've built this new product called, uh, benchmark groups, uh, and similar to, uh, LinkedIn groups or Facebook groups that allows someone to create a group and then invite people to join. In this case, it, we're inviting a company to join and opt in to the anonymous benchmark. And as soon as they opt in, as long as there's 15 members in that group, we will automatically calculate the benchmark um, for all of our integrations. So all the integrations that we built before with Google Analytics, uh, HubSpot, ad platforms, social platforms, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you can basically benchmark your performance against companies like yours. So 
Right. Um, so maybe, maybe if you could give us a, like a concrete example for someone who hasn't seen that before. Yeah. So, um, so like, uh, I'm sure that referral rock has a, fa- a LinkedIn company page, right, Josh? Yeah. It needs some updating, but yeah. Josh, yeah. <laughs> he hesitated. Uh-oh. He's going to quickly, quickly go and update his LinkedIn company page. So anyways, a lot of people don't use them. Um, but if you do use it and, and we do, and it actually has a good return for us, but, um, what you could do is like go to benchmarks.databox.com and um, just like look for LinkedIn in the search bar and you'll see a group that's called uh, LinkedIn company pages for companies less than 250 employees. Assuming you're less than 250 employees, you will click join that group and then you just connect your LinkedIn company page through OAuth, which I know you two know, but for others, you mm-hmm. basically got to log in yep. your LinkedIn company page and just say, yep, share my data. Um, and what, will happen on your screen is you will then see how you compare against, I think it's like 800 other um, LinkedIn company pages. And so it'll show you like, what's your reach? What's your uh, post reach? What's your uh, the clicks that you get on your posts? Um, and I think there's like eight or 10 metrics and I can't remember them all. Um, but mm-hmm. uh, it'll show you where you compare on a histogram. So typically most people know histograms to be like, uh, you know, population of, of anything. Like you could, you could pop, you could basically say uh, height would be a good thing to put on Instagram. Cause like there are people who are four feet and there are people that are nine feet. Right. And so, and mm-hmm. then there's a lot of people in the middle. So there's going to be a big hump in the middle where most people are like, you know, five something. Um, and, uh, and that, and then there's some people down the you know, lower and some people higher. And so that's the way it'll model it. So if, if your LinkedIn company page gets lots of clicks, you're going to be off to the right, like those people who are eight feet tall. If you mm-hmm. uh, are on the left, or if you don't aren't active with your LinkedIn company page, your stats are going to show that you're at the bottom quartile. Of, of right, and it, and the real the real value here is like I want to compare myself to other people who are similar to me. Like, how am I doing? Even yes. and I think that's a question that all of us are asking whenever we're looking at you know our marketing stats or any of that yes. sort of thing, right? Yes, it's almost the bane of a marketer's existence, I think, is that everyone's like, is this good? How come it's not growing? Like, we've mm-hmm. invested more. Why isn't it growing yet? Like, that's pretty much the life of a marketer. And so I think if they can say, hey, you know, we're a $5 million business and here's a group of uh, a $5 million SaaS company, right? And here's a group of 200 companies just like that. And look, we're off the freaking charts uh, and mm-hmm. we're probably spending less than them, right? So like, it gives you that that ability to say, yeah, it's not realistic for every investment that you make to have a home run, but all of the portfolio investments we've made are working out pretty well if you compare us to other yeah. 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 No, that, that makes a lot of sense. That's a really cool moat too, right? Because as you grow the customer base for Databox, that data becomes more accurate and there's more more subgroups within that that you can potentially unlock as well, right? Yeah, my hope is, and it's too early, right? We just launched this about a month ago. My hope, but I hope is that this is like, has both virality built in as well as network effects. And so the virality mm-hmm. comes from the, we're allowing agencies or consultants, I even have an accountant testing it out, where they're able to create their own groups and invite companies to join. So if we mm-hmm. allow them to do that, all the math, right, is done behind the scenes. They don't have to do anything other than like get 15 companies to join. Um, and so it allows them to create a proprietary group. For example, I have an agency 
that sells to sells marketing services to SaaS companies over five million who sell to enterprise large accounts. And so mm -hmm. they're creating just with companies like that because the marketing and sales results from a SaaS company like that are going to be very different than the marketing or sales results of a company like Databox, where we close 100, 150 customers every month, right? Um, mm -hmm. So, so like allowing agencies to build those groups and really control who's in them, my hope is will generate virality. And then yeah. to your point, the, I hope is there's network effects because as we gather more data and there's more users of the app, um, we'll be able to have more of these niche groups uh, and we'll have bigger groups that make the data more relevant. Um, and then there's a few versions of the product we'll do later on, which where I think we'll really be able to accelerate the uh, the network effects where we're, we're gathering other types of data, not just performance data as well. Yeah, that that is really cool. I, I when I saw that, I was like, oh, that's less like right out of the textbook of, you know, ways to do good uh, network uh, effects and, you know, economies of scale and all that. So that, that's really Hopefully. neat to see. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm a big fan of the Seven Powers book, and I know there's a section on there. I also recently read uh, uh, Andrew Chen's book. It's uh, the Cold Start Problem, where he talks about mm. like his experience at Uber and investing in companies like everything from Clubhouse, which I guess isn't as big anymore, but like other social nets and marketplaces, etc. Um, and so, mm -hmm. yeah, so we're hoping this is this is our. Uh, so our network effect. Yeah, I'm gonna have to. Uh, I'm gonna have to add that to my reading list. Uh, oh, it's, it's a really book. good one. Yeah. Really good yeah. One. Okay. That's sweet. Great story. So he was, he was there for a lot of cool companies, seeing them rise, especially Uber. Yeah. So as you're working now, you kind of rolled this out. I guess uh, beginning this year, something like that. No, this was just rolled out like in October. We had like a month of. Um, we manually invited people ourselves. Like we would talk mm. about it on social and then say, if you're interested and willing to give us some feedback, drop a yep. comment or connect with us. And then we manually invited people. And then about three weeks ago is when we opened up and started sharing the URL and uh, promoting it. in our Okay. Content. So this is fresh. This is fresh. That's cool. No, the one thing is though, we did ask our users uh, starting at the beginning of the year to opt in. So we would okay. have a data set to work with. Um, so we have okay. 14,000 companies opted in. Um, right. And they just haven't necessarily, they haven't all visited the site yet. <laughs> we actually haven't well, promoted it all, to all of them yet. We've just uh, started promoting it to, on social. Mostly. Yeah, yeah. So that's cool. You're kind of keeping your eye on that these days. Is there any other kind of big, big picture things that you're working on that are, you know, big problems or big opportunities that uh, you're looking at? Um, so I'm spending like a good portion of my time on this one. Cause I think this is our best bet, um, to grow sign up mm -hmm. volume. Um, cause as I, I think I said earlier, it's like, it hasn't been growing at the same rate as it did early on. And we're trying to figure out how do we create demand as to just capture it. Um, so that's the big one. We're also, we've tied it to our marketing strategy. Um, so we're creating a lot of content around benchmarks. Um, I don't know if you know how we, we crowdsource content now. I know Josh does cause he's done it as well but we reach out to people and we ask them to answer one question, all of them to answer one question or a set of questions. Mm -hmm. And then we use that to produce content. So we've kind of okay. worked the benchmarks into that process where we're asking people like, why do you think this benchmark is like this? Or how would you explain this? Or things like that. Um, so that's helping us get it out there. And then we're also working with marketing agencies like one-on-one -on -one, uh, to help them 
like build lists, um, do similar type of content marketing as we do, and then of course grow their own benchmark group. So um, yeah. being a very small team uh, of people have kind of developed this, like say, kind of cold prospecting process um, mm-hmm. that starts asking people for their opinion on stuff and to contribute to content or complete surveys, but then also offers them this free benchmark as well. Okay, cool. So just really trying to grow the signups and, you know, get this, get this benchmark thing out there. So that way people will, uh, you know, come in the door. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously like it's a free product, if I didn't mention that, mm-hmm. but, um, we've built this, like this is our second product. We've built this with the same, uh, authentication and user ID system, as well as the same mm-hmm. connection system. So like if somebody comes in and benchmarks their HubSpot, CRM, Facebook ads, and LinkedIn company page, um, they'll have those connected. And then it's a very quick, like just go and log in into a different tool and they'll see that their data is connected in the main data yeah. box app. Uh, and so it gives us an opportunity to then maybe introduce our other uh, capabilities to them. Uh, okay, yeah, kind of like a freemium kind of play. Yeah, so the yeah we have a free mo- we have a freemium model anyways. We always have since I joined. Mm. Um, so we we have a free product that allows people to build three dashboards, um, yeah. and one and one report from that. Uh, but this is yeah a new layer of freemium, I guess. Um, yeah, very cool. Well, this is this has been really interesting listening to your story and whatnot. Um, maybe a few wrap up questions. Um, is there, you've listened to a lot of our episodes, like you're talking yes. about, is there any, any advice that you'd give to Josh or I in terms of company building and marketing and oh, wow. thinking about things? <laughs> that's a, that's a broad one. That's a broad one. <laughs> um, I think, I think we've talked about this maybe privately before is that, uh, I think, I think lesson number one is like, start with the market and find the problem. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we, we experienced this as well in that, um, you know, it's relatively easy to kind of go and see what should we build? What are ideas of things we should be building? And you can find inspiration from that, from competitors, from companies that aren't competitors, right? There's, there's ways to do that, but I think, um, you can build all that, but you don't know if your customers are going to buy it, but, and, Mm. and you can avoid that problem, which we've experienced as well. Um, by talking to customers and knowing that, all right, there's this group of customers that seem to validate what we want to build or, or tell us that there's a real problem, um, that if we solve this for them, they'll pay money. Um, and I think that if I'm starting a startup, that's like the first thing I think of. It's like, who's the customer and what's the problem? So, uh, I didn't, I made the, I made that mistake, the, the opposite mistake, or I did it the opposite way in my first startup. And I remember shooting an email to, to this guy named Dave Curlin, who's a um, world-renowned sales expert who happened to live near me. And um, and I and I said to him, like, should we really be selling based on problems? Shouldn't we? It's like the internet was born and like the world was changing. Shouldn't we be selling based on the dream and the vision of what the internet could enable us to do? And, and his response was great. His response was, Pete, give me a call when you, when you need help. <laughs> <laughs> Six months later, when I was struggling with my selling, I called him and mm-hmm. ended up hiring him. And the rest of my story, I guess, is pretty public. But that's he helped me. <laughs> that's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> well, that's all for this episode. Uh, stay tuned for part two. Thanks for joining us today. 
If you enjoyed our podcast, please share with a friend. We're new to this podcasting thing, and we'd love to hear what you have to say. Tweet us at Searching for SAS on Twitter. That's Searching, the number four, SAS. Or send an email to searchingforsass at gmail.com. See you next week.